Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive in the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing Bo is Afraid, Chevalier, and Sisu. I'm your host, oh, Bill we, George, we. and with me, as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. Gentlemen, hello. Hello. Good evening, Bill. How are you, boys? Well, AJ, it's been a, a tough 48-hour stretch for Boston sports fans. We can say that. Let me pose a question to both of you. One of you having season tickets to the Garden, but you go, you see the Celtics. The other one is a lifelong a Boston Bruins fan, grew up playing hockey. All of us, big Boston sports fan, was the Bruins collapse in the first round of the playoffs the worst playoff performance of any Boston sports team in the history of Boston sports? Oh Jesus! Wow, Christ. you're going big. Is this worse? Say, is this worse than through through Buckner's legs? I couldn't speak to Buckner's legs because I didn't I didn't live through it. But I will say, just keeping it to the Bruins, I would put this as the second worst. Oh. What was the first? first worst being losing Game Seven at home three years ago in the oh, to the Cup Blues, St. Louis Blues. Yeah, yeah I'm still dumb. not over that one. Wow, this one as a singular game, it's like it's worse when it's one game. You know what I mean? Sure. Versus playing out over the course of a week, this was the the, the worst part about this one. And I'll try to be brief because this is a movie podcast. <laughs> is that it's going to be one of those ones that like goes down in history as like historically bad choke job. Because they were literally the winningest yeah, regular right. season team in the history of the sport. And they lost in the first round to, in seven games after being up 3-1 against the Florida goddamn Panthers. So that that like extra layer of the Florida the Panthers actually don't suck, but they're just a franchise that. Yeah, they're a bunch really, of fucking scrubs. OK, yeah, L- let's. So anyways, it's just that high tier of epic all time chokers like the 2001 Mariners did the same thing. The best all time, you know, regular season record and lost in the first round. What's interesting is that for that every major sport, that's the case, though. Is it as much of a choke when you consider the fact the Mariners have the best baseball record and win? Patriots had the best record in 07, didn't win. And the Golden State Warriors that went 73 and 9 had the best record in 2016 and didn't win. So every major sport now has their winningest team of a regular season not win the title. So I don't know if that lessens it at all for you, but Well, well we have we have two of them now. We own Boston owns two of those things. Cuz we do have we, the 07 Pats I think is still So that was going to be my that was going to be my fast follow brought to you by Valvoline. Craig, do you think that this is worse than the Patriots' perfect season. Absolutely not even cl- close. Not even close. Oh, I think it's actually 10 times worse. No. Emotionally. In terms of pain? Or what are you talking about? Like emotionally? Listen, the Super Bowl is like the creme de la creme. Like it's its own entity in its own. Like you got pretty much all the way there, had a couple bad beats, pretty shitty game all around, but like you made it to the thing. The best. NHL team in the history of the league lost in the first goddamn round to a bunch of fucking slack-jawed yokels from Florida. <laughs> to me... Oh, it's bad, AJ. I'm not saying it's To me, bad. that's worse. All right, this, to, to your point, this is a, this is a movie podcast. So tough week, I guess, is the point of the, of the discussion. That's all I was getting at. It's a tough week. But on that continuation of movies and sports and TVs, the boys over in Wrexham have got promoted. So you might have remembered a couple, I don't know, months now, a year ago, 
We talked about the Welcome to Wrexham documentary that Rob McElhenney from Always Sunny and um, Ryan Reynolds yes. bought a football club, right? That was the bottom of the barrel for English soccer. They did a whole documentary. They got like 500 million, 5 million followers on social media. They're now sponsored by TikTok. Like they did everything right. They bought the stadium out. They signed a 25-year lease so they wouldn't move the team. Uh, and they, um, over the last two weeks, they have now got promoted. They won their league and now they got promoted to the next stage of English soccer. Which is, is that, are they in the Premier League now or are they in the championship? No. So they were like third tier. No, no, they were fifth tier. They were bottom of the barrel oh. of, because it's Premier League, Champions League, one else, and then two like sub ones and then the bottom. So now, oh my God, I didn't even realize Now that. they are in the, the, the second tier to the bottom and they're moving forward. And it was crazy to see the reaction. I don't know if you've seen anything on Sports Center or social media, but like they were genuinely happy and in tears that, I mean, the, the, the gamble that they had, you know, bet on paid off. And it was kind of amazing to see. Do you think they'll do more? episodes of that Hulu series now? As, was that always meant to keep going? Or was that meant to be a one-time miniseries? I don't know. I think it was kind of like, we got this crazy idea, and I think we can buy this team and do something with it, and we're we're both creative people. Like, we should document it. And, like, it worked. And I saw a great article the other day on, like, a marketing blog about the genius behind what they did. My hope is that they do, because there is still a story to be told. Very Ted Lasso-esque. But I'm, I'm. But also, I think would help them drum up. I mean, obviously, they're not going to have a hard time getting local interest because people in the UK and England are psycho about soccer. But like, it could help them become. I'm sure, as the owners of the franchise, they would love to become an Arsenal or a Liverpool or whatever one of these teams that have yeah, it multi you know international yeah. reach, and you see people wearing Manchester United shit all over the world. Right. The article said that like. 70% of jersey and kit sales over the last year were outside of the United Kingdom. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Which is insane to think about. It shows the global reach for sure. So uh, congrats, fans of the show, Rob McElhinney and uh, Ryan, the Reynolds. Guy. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. If we can get... If anyone knows him, get him on the show. Bill, you have any updates that are non-sport related? Because apparently we're crossing genres today. <laughs> um, well, we saw... John Wick Chapter 4, which we spoke about, I believe it was the last episode. And in that movie sure was Donnie Yen, martial arts master. And Blind recently, aficionado. <laughs> since our last episode, I got to watch his directorial debut. I was watching one of those career timeline videos on YouTube for like where they interview somebody for 20 minutes and take them through a bunch of their big key movies and they kind of discuss what it was like or big stories behind it. And at the end of it, Donnie Yen said, oh, and I, I'm directing this movie. Here it is, da-da-da. And then it popped up on iTunes as rentable because I don't know that it... If it made theater release in the U.S., it was very small, but I found it on, on iTunes. And so I decided to give that a shot. So I watched it and um, I reviewed it and it's a no. Oh. So we don't need to go super in-depth in the show to go see it. But it's interesting because it's directed by Donnie Yen. He also stars in it, but it is also a very old, I mean, he would say old-fashioned, I would say outdated, martial arts movie. It looks like uh, it's got the same look as House of Flying Daggers. It's wire foo, if you will. Okay. But it's just, I don't know if it was the writing is really weak or the English translation was terrible, but I'm reading the subtitles and most of it didn't make any sense. I'm like, literally, this does not make any sense. 
And the action was okay, but they subbed in a lot of CGI augmentation to help. And so some shots were really well choreographed kung fu, and it was great. And then every once in a while, they'll cut to some shot that they added CG to to change it, and it looked terrible. And they had some of the people had superpowers, like fire coming out of their hands, like Mario with with flower power. Well, you say that until you see the way it's depicted on screen, and it's kind of lame. Sounds like he's 20 years too late in the whole wire foo fucking phenomenon. Exactly. It's basically... Did he direct it as a blind guy, too? Is it that bad? (laughs) Did did he actually see what was going on? Not that bad. But the whole time I'm watching it... The whole time I'm watching it is I just... It made me wish I was watching Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. If you're having that... Same style, same time period, same look, but Crouching Tiger is just, it's so much better. Like you just, it's, it's majestic. It's beautiful. It's one of the best. It's an all-timer. And so if you haven't seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, like that is a must watch for anybody who missed that versus this, which is just kind of meh. Well, they say comparison is the thief of joy, Bill. I know, but it's hard sometimes not to. Well, let's go right into our news segment. It's, it's. I'll be honest with you, boys. Slow week here in Hollywood. So uh, we got a couple kind of like thought-provoking news stories, if you can call them. More of like opinion pieces, editorials, if you will. So, Bill, I got a question for you. Hit me. You talk a lot about things in movies you bump on or things that bother you or take you out of the experience. Do you have a particular pet peeve or biggest pet peeve when it comes to screenwriting? Do I ever, AJ? And this actually can connect to the news a little bit because we're talking about screenwriting and the only real news happening right now is the Writers Guild of America has officially gone on strike. But that just happened the other day. So maybe in a future episode, we'll have to talk about the news ramifications once we see how long the strike is going to last. But when it comes to those writers and screenwriting, there's one thing that kills me. And I need a little little runway here because I got to give you some context. So bear with me. You're a plane, Bill. (laughs) So... I have grown up on movies, right? They're what I'm most passionate about. It's why I started the site, why I have the podcast. They are a huge part of my life. It's also a huge part of... It's very inf- Movies are very influential on me, have been my entire life. They shape sort of the way you, sometimes you think. You know, Roger Eber calls them empathy machines. Like, you can't help but empathize with other people and learn from them. So I've grown up learning from movies. And now, separate fact... I'm also single, and for the most of my life, I've been single. Here's the screenwriting thing that kills me, is when you have a main character, usually it's a male protagonist, I'll use that as an example, and he, early on in the movie, meets a, new, a female character, either like a, it could be a server, it could be a girl at a bar, it could be a checkout clerk, doesn't matter. And he... I think you're minimizing women's careers right now. I'm saying, no, I'm saying this is what generally <laughs> appears in the movies. This, okay. Yep. This is what it is in the movie. Exactly. He looks at her and like smiles. They cut to her and she kind of smiles back and looks down. And then they smash cut to them in bed. Oh. And usually they do that oh, early okay. on in movies to either signify that the person is, you know, very attractive or promiscuous or reckless or they, they could be explained, they could use it in any different way. Sure. But the part that bothers me is it's so lazy and it doesn't tell you or tell me how they got there. 
There's a lot of steps when you first see someone and then all of a sudden yeah. you're in bed with them. So you're coming into these movies with like a notepad just waiting for the... You want to see more foreplay. You might call it courtship, AJ. I need some ideas. I need some tips. I need suggestions. I need to know what works. Okay, well, there's a, not, there's a few websites I can give you that could probably paint a better picture of what happens in between the meet cute and the the bed laying. But it just the feels what? lazy. It feels the meat what? Meat cute. I, I got you, AJ. I'm with Whatever. you. Okay, thanks, Bill. So it's just it's a pet peeve where they just they just cut through all of that as if it's so easy. Can I can I raise an objection to uh, this? Uh, what about the what about the scores, reams even of films that have been made about just exactly this topic, the courtship of guy trying to get the girl. Literally hundreds upon hundreds of Hollywood movies no, but that, have been made on this exact premise. No, but it's different because those always have unrealistic abstract scenarios where one runs a bookstore and one fucking, I don't even know, like runs, I'm just thinking of You've Got Mail, but <laughs> they, those scenarios are never realistic. But like meeting a girl, so the entire genre of romantic comedy is not useful for you. You just need these little side quests to be more detailed. Well, no. So I would like it for that, and I also do Jesus. think that just from a movie perspective, Christ. it's lazy writing. Okay, okay. and unrealistic. Fair that's fair. Okay. So anyway, that's my biggest pet peeve. Whenever they do that, and they do it all the time. That's the one. All right. What about you, AJ? What grinds your gears? Yeah, I have one. Very particular one, and this is probably more for TV than it than it is for movies. But there's instances in episodic TV and in movies where our protagonist will go on some sort of mission or hunt to find a clue or who the killer is, or maybe they've been like on the lam for a while. And there's no kind of context of what the real world implications are when you kind of like go off the grid for. I don't know, five days. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. my phone, the number of missed calls from like my mother not checking in on me would be astronomical, you <laughs> yeah. know? Like, did they bring a toothbrush with them? What is happening with that, right? Mm -hmm. I just yep. find that odd. The second thing, and my wife brings this up, which relates back to your kind of sexual escapade issue that you have with movies, is that when people wake up in the morning and then they immediately like kiss or start making out or like having sex, like, Right after they wake up, my wife is like, you know, why aren't they going to go brush their teeth first? And I'm like, well, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're thinking about that, but like, it's a movie. So like suspend your disbelief. Yeah. It's not just the breath. It's not just the breath. Dude, they also wake up with like perfect hair and everything else. Perfect hair, makeup, you know, yeah. like the sun's gleaming on their hard bodies. Yeah. So those are my <laughs> yeah, two yeah. things that are just odd when it comes to screenwriting is, a, is that kind of not grounded in reality. But again, it's not reality. It's a movie. So here we are. Bill, that's an interesting one. I thought you were going to talk about Chekhov's gun or, you know, inability to close a third act correctly. Or like oh, sure. A, a, sure. A, a, the, the improper cre crescendo in, in the second act that leads into a third. There was all these things that I was thinking of that was just not my brain isn't ready to re rebuttal that or have a conversation. I feel like that. we need to clear out our entire show notes and just talk about this. <laughs> just such an interest. Like, what are you looking for? Like, are you looking for more like real life no i th i don't think they i'm not saying that they should i don't i'm not saying they should keep that as a story point but add in detail because because i get why they're doing it i understand they're trying to make a point about a, about a character or show the audience what type of character this is i just wish there was a different way to do it or if you're gonna do that make it more realistic 
All right, AJ, I got another one for you. Okay. Ooh, baby. Okay, here we go. So I saw a question on Instagram that caught my attention. Somebody was talking Great. about... Are we going credit to the, credit the account? No, I don't have it in front of me. Sorry. Okay. But it caught my attention, and it basically was saying, you know, we talk about reboots and remakes, and that's what Hollywood has been doing. But what if Hollywood started retelling the same stories that they've told, but from a different point of view? So instead of remaking something from scratch, take something that we've already seen, but do a different perspective. So what movie would you want to see remade, and from which character's perspective would you rather it be told? I have, so first of all, Bill and random Instagram account, great question. I only have one, and I think it would be amazing. Okay. It would be the pers- from the perspective of Winston the Wolf, played by Har- Harvey Keitel in mm-hmm. the film Pulp Fiction. Ooh, okay. For those who don't remember, Harvey was a cleanup guy when they shot the guy in the backseat of the car. There was <laughs> yep. blood everywhere. They went to Quentin Tarantino's house, and they were like, fuck, we got to clean up this dead body. He was the guy who was like, you know, it takes two hours to get there from where I am in L.A., <laughs> but I'll be there in 30 minutes. Yeah. And he's, he's the guy who fixes it. He's the fixer. I would love... Honey, just because you are a character doesn't mean you've got character. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think fast. I, I act I would, fast. <laughs> I would love to see what happens in the world of the wolf. I think that would be incredible. Gotcha. Nice That's one. a good pick. Thank you. That's a good pick. I have one uh, big Show one. note. I was going to say, the thing that Craig... Ref- no, should I even go there? No, okay. No, I'm just going to cut okay. it. Okay. Great. Bill, what do you got? So I have one big one, and then I have a couple others that I like. kind of spitballed, had some thoughts on. But the big one is the movie Passengers. Do you remember this one? This was a science fiction movie with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. And oh, they were shipped together. Yes. But you change the perspective of this movie, and, you, and the way to do that would be flipping Act 1 and 2, and you would have an exponentially better movie. So... So first of all, just to talk about the act breakdown in general, if you think okay. about because I talk about acts in movies all the time, and just to kind of give people a little context on what that means, most movies, vast majority, have a three-act structure. And the act changes are typically when a character makes a choice or something happens to your protagonist that there's no coming back from, like a fundamental shift in the status quo. So usually act one sets up your character, sets up your status quo. Act one ends when something happens or they make a choice that is... You're a wizard, Harry, would be an example of this. <laughs> or Neo taking the red pill or Amparu and Uncle Owen getting shot and Luke deciding I will go train with Obi-Wan. Like that's... There's no going back from that. That's the choice. And then you, act two is usually them embarking on whatever. And then act three similarly will be like the next choice that they don't come back from or change they make. So like in if we kept going with the Matrix, when he finally, you know, he's beginning to believe, when he believes in himself and turns and fights Smith, like that's a pivotal shift there's no coming back from. So that starts act three. So there's usually three acts in, in a given movie. In Passengers, act one, sorry to spoil it, but in act one, Chris Pratt is on a ship that is going light speed and he's, you know, frozen in stasis for the long trip. His pod malfunctions, he wakes up and now he's alone on the ship. And he's going to be on there for, he's going to die on there. There's going to be hundreds of years by the time they land and he can't go back into stasis. And the whole first act is him coming to terms with that and being super lonely. And then the end of act one, he makes the decision to sabotage Jennifer Lawrence's pod so that he has companionship. But at the same time, he's condemning her to death, essentially. 
And so act two, she wakes up, he tells her hers malfunctioned as well, and all of act two is them, you know, building a relationship, being on the ship, whatever. And then act three begins when she finds out that he woke her up. Like, that's a big reveal. And that obviously cripples their relationship. And then stuff happens on the ship and act three becomes whatever. But if you switch that so that the movie begins, act one is J-Law waking up and we only see her perspective and she's here with this guy whose pod also, you know, broke down. And so they build a relationship. And then the end of act one she realizes he sabotaged it, and then we flash back, and all of Act Two is Act One to see like how he got to that choice. It would have made the movie so much better because instead you're watching the movie and you're supposed to empathize with Chris Pratt, but then he does this thing, and he it's, which is kind of monstrous, and so you're like you don't really know how you feel about him or their relationship, and it kind of taints the whole movie versus having it be a, like a twist or a reveal that he is a monster after you spent the entire first act thinking that they are you know, best buds would have made that movie so much better. Aren't you a big, that, that is good. My rebuttal to that would be you have constantly spoken up the fact that you are a opponent of in media res starting in the middle of something and then going back in time to something. Isn't that basically what this would end up being? Is it like you're in the middle of this relationship and then you have to watch a rewind back to how it got here in the first place? Because it's the, my usual media res issue is the duration. Because usually it's like they 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 only show five seconds or like a minute oh, of where we are, scratch. and it's then like, it's let's go here? back. That's the thing oh, that okay. annoys okay. me. Or they tip their hand at what the ending will be and then go back. That's those like little moments I think are pointless. This would be like a fundamental shift in the storytelling of this movie. So I I would change that a little bit. Love that. So that would be the other ones that I thought of were mostly just like favorite characters I'd rather see more of, similar to yours. Like who? Who do we got? Detective Bonet in Gone Girl. One of my favorite characters ever. Oh, so, like okay. maybe more from her. Zero Dark Thirty from Bin Laden's perspective. Yeah, I could see how that would be interesting. That could be I mean, we all know how it ends, but we know yeah. that Zero, Bar- Zero Dark Thirty is quite possibly pretty close to a perfect movie True. except the end where chris another chris pratt chris pratt's character <laughs> ruins the last 20 minutes of that film killian murphy in inception like the guy being incepted like learning more about oh his perspective might be That's interesting a good one. like we get flashes of it obviously when we're in his head but like the lead up to that flight and then what he ends mm-hmm. up doing after like telling that story from his perspective might be kind of interesting nice all right boys let's move on to our Should I Go See It segment. This week, we'll be talking about three movies. The first one, Bill, in our show notes, is Bo is Afraid. Bo is Afraid. According to IMDb.com, following the sudden death of his mother, a mild, mild-mannered mild but anxiety-ridden man confronts his darkest fears as he embarks on an epic Kafka-esque odyssey back home. Bill, Should I Go See It? No. I gave this one a no, but I will say that this is a movie that is tough to review in the sense that similar to Ghost Story or Neon Demon or some of these other movies I've talked about before, it's a really well-executed art film, but your mileage is going to vary based on your patience for like weirdness because this is a weird, indescribable movie that will turn lots of people off. So like a blanket, yeah, would be 
I would have people like cursing me out the entire time they were watching the movie saying, what the fuck have you got me into? So I, I, so I had to give it to, I had to give it a no. From the mind of Ari Aster, who has done Hereditary and Midsummer. So he is a well-ventured traveler in the world of really fucked up shit. Yep. Where does this stack up in movies against movies like Midsummer and Hereditary? So it is not nearly as scary. Like it's not horror based. Like those have elements of horror in them or thriller. This is less that. It is very well directed by him. Like he certainly has talent there and an eye for it. The thing that makes this movie different from those is. So this movie follows follows Joaquin Phoenix, who acts his ass off, by the way. He's great in this. And he is a man with, we'll say, mental health challenges, a lot of different afflictions. And we follow him through this three-hour odyssey. But it's all from his perspective, which means what we're seeing, which you realize within the first few minutes, what we're seeing is not necessarily reliable. It's basically what you're not seeing the real world. You're seeing his interpretation of the world. So it's all through his eyes, which is cool, but it's a double-edged sword because it has some really amazing inventive moments that like take your breath away that are like incredible. But then there's also this level of chaos in the movie that just becomes overwhelming and loud and almost obnoxious, and the movie overstays its welcome at three hours for sure. It's, it's a wild movie. The closest comparison I could make is Darren Aronofsky's Mother, which was the Should I Go See a Film of the Year when that came out. I loved it. But with Mother, by the end of the first act, you realize that this is not reality. This is like an allegory. And then you can just kind of sit back and look for the meaning in it and interpret it different ways. This movie, it's never quite clear because it stays quasi-grounded with the fantasy. And like you keep waiting for the reveal of like what's actually happening or what's real and what's not or how is it being misinterpreted. Like You're waiting for like a Shutter Island-type ending that puts everything in context, but it never happens. That never comes. The entire movie is just chaos. And so it also kind of feels low stakes in that way because like none of it matters because you never know what's real and what's not and what's imagined. But again, any particular scene, there could be really cool moments, cool elements, really like interesting parts to it. But for three straight hours, like the audience I was with when it ended, first of all, just stunned silence. And then the group behind me all stood up and someone said, I need to get out of here. I feel like I've been on another, another planet for the last three hours. Like that was the literal quote from the people behind me. So it's just, it's a weird, weird movie. And if you're up for the challenge, like you might enjoy it. But a lot of people would just be like, what the fuck is this? All-star cast, you got Joaquin Phoenix. You have Amy Grace, but a lot of people are going to know who played Holly in The Office. You have Nathan Lane. You got Parker Posey, who we haven't seen in a while. You have Richard Kind. You got an all-star cast. Most of the time, the, these people, right? These actors are are given pretty straightforward scripts, right? Like, how did how did all of these people come together in a film from a man who is extremely inventive in the worlds and the situations that he create? Most of the time, either very horrific or just almost like you said, otherworldly or just far from reality. That is what's interesting is especially Nathan Lane, I will say, was a standout because they are playing it straight. So like they are acting like nothing crazy is happening. But from our perspective, from Joaquin's perspective, 
everything is unhinged. But they're playing it totally normal. Nathan Lane in particular, like really funny, really great standout from it. And like I said, Joaquin is acting his ass off. Like he is, all the tension and dread you're feeling is because you are connecting so well with him and he is flipping out the entire movie. But again, just that can get tiresome after when you get to three hour mark. But all the, all the actors are great. I mean, they're fantastic. Parker Posey too was also very, very good. Love her. Interesting fact too is that this is actually a full feature-length adaptation. Ari Aster shot a short film called Bo in 2011 that ended up being the the framework of this film, which I did not know until before the show, which is pretty interesting to think about. Yeah, I had heard that from someone else as well, but I did not know that going in. And we've we've actually seen this happen before. Whiplash was actually a, a short film that Damien Chazelle you know, shot as almost a spec film and then was able to kind of turn into a feature-length film, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So this is a this movie has a very specific audience that you need to be ready for it and kind of buckled up to go in. So I can't give it a blanket recommendation. AJ, I think you should watch it. I'd be really interested to hear your take on some of it. And I know you would text me every five minutes saying this is so fucked. <laughs> and so I, I would like you to see it. But generally speaking, I, I couldn't force, force this on anybody. Love that. I, well, actually, I don't know if I love that. It sounds like a wild ride. <laughs> oh, that, it is. It I mean, is. I, I've taken mushrooms before, and I don't know if I feel like want to do it again. So That's actually funny you mentioned that. There was a news story where our Joaquin Phoenix specifically said, do not take mushrooms before you watch this movie. Oh, like, wow. It already is like you're that on mushrooms. That seems like a challenge. Yeah. It's already like that. I, I presume I've never taken mushrooms. But it seems like it would already be like that, so it would just be compounded if you tried to add Oh, just to compounding? Oh, microdose never hurt anybody. All right. So, Bill, the second film we'll be talking about today is Chevalier, based on the true story of composer Chevalier de Saint-Georges, the illegitimate son of an African slave and a French plantation owner who rises to heights in French society as a composer before an ill-fated love affair. Bill, this, that was a mouthful. Should I go see it? Yes. I gave this movie a Yes. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. So like you mentioned, it follows a biracial man. who's a French plantation owner, father who had an affair with his Senegalese slave in 18th century France. And a lot of his life, after doing more research after the movie, a lot of his life was lost to history following his death. And now historians, are, there's kind of a resurgence in it as historians find more documents to find more about him as a composer. He was made his name as a musical composer, but he was also known for a lot of other things, fencing, a couple other. And then he played a role in the revolution as well. But based on his role in the revolution and the fact that he was biracial, a lot of his history was lost. And so this movie, it's kind of, take some liberties with it and says, let's make a biopic about this person who you've probably never heard of. And it was, it was entertaining. I actually really enjoyed it. I mean, certainly I didn't know the story, so that made me do some more research and found it very interesting. And the lead performance by Kelvin Harrison was like a star-making turn. Like he was so good in it as, you know, he has to play a man without a country, like cop between worlds type of thing. And he does an amazing job. The soundtrack naturally is incredible because it's all based around the world of, of classical music at that time. I will say the first half is stronger than the second. When you get into the second half and it goes heavier into geopolitics and the revolution itself, it kind of loses a little, bit about, a little bit of that personal spark that the first half has when you're setting up the character. 
and it's 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 definitely old fashioned musical biopic in some ways, but I still really enjoyed it, and it's just something you don't see all the time in terms of a period piece like this about an unknown or less known person. And the opening sequence, this is like the real selling point, the real yes. The opening sequence is dynamite. Like I was smiling throughout the entire first act because of this opening sequence where he has a violin off, like violin challenge, if you will, with Mozart, which didn't didn't happen in real life. But those two people did, Mozart and, and the real person, did know each other. They actually roomed together. So, like, they do have a history together. Whether they had an actual, like, violin contest is not necessarily true, but they take some liberties and add it in. And it's the best opening sequence I've seen in a long time. Wow. I was hooked. I was hooked from that. It was so awesome. There's a lot to unpack there. So, Beethoven knew this gentleman, Chevalier. And when you are talking about the French Revolution... Mozart. 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 I'm sorry. Like, Marie Antoinette, French Revolution? Oh, yeah. Yep. Marie Antoinette is the one who... She's in the movie, and she assigns him to his post as the Chevalier de St. George or whatever it is. Whoa. So there's some history there as well. So Marie Antoinette factors into the film as a main character. Yep. Uh, Bill, you've talked about uh, numerous times on this podcast that either your love of audiobooks and or history fuel movies and vice versa. Vice versa. Are you going to now find audiobooks and biographical things on this man to learn more about him? It seems like you're kind of like... You're invested in The Violin Man. I am. I might. I think there was one main book that this was based on, so that might be. I might have to add that to my queue. I was definitely thinking about it, for sure. At a tight, what, hour 48, hour 45? Gotta love that. Yeah, can't, can't beat it. We can't love beat it. tight movies. Do you think this is gonna... Does this have the backing and like the support of the general population right now to make a good, I guess, run come like award season or is this going to be one of those good films that came out in 2023 that people are going to end up you know forgetting in 10 15 20 years yeah i don't i think it's going to have a pretty niche attraction like i know i hadn't heard much about it or seen much about it i happened to look at the listings and i saw it on there to caught my interest not a lot of big marketing push i don't think that it would be in contention for award season unless it's maybe a technical award for audio or something to that effect yeah, I don't necessarily see it taking off in that way, but I think it's a little, it'll be one of those like little hidden gems that people discover and tell other people about type of thing. Love it. Our last film today, we'll be talking about, about Zizou, according to imdb.com. When an ex-soldier who discovers gold in the Lapland wilderness tries to take the loot into the city, Nazi soldiers led by a brutal SS officer battled him. Bill? Is this the Nazi version of John Wick? So, and this, should I go see it? <laughs> I ended up giving this one a no. What? It was, it was a tough one to review. I was literally on the fence like my entire drive home. It that so, it, like you mentioned, high level concept. It's basically if you had to give it a log line that you had to sell to the execs. It's Inglorious Bastards meets John Wick. That's the idea. I mean, on paper. On paper. How do I back this film? I fucking love Nazis getting killed probably <laughs> oh, more than same, anything in the entire same, world. Same. It was like the birth of my son, fucking dead Nazis. Yeah, same. It seems like a no-brainer. It's like, it's a tight 90 minutes. It's stylized. It's got chapter markers just like Tarantino. So on paper, I agree. It all sounds great. It's fun to describe to friends. But the actual movie itself, 
just it never quite finds a consistent tone. It's like pretty self-serious, which I don't necessarily mind, but then there's some scenarios that are like way over the top and comical, which don't really make sense. So they don't really lean into the campiness that they could. There's no story to speak of, which I can appreciate, but that means you got to rely on the action. And the action that's there isn't anything that hasn't been done better elsewhere. And most of it's in the marketing, to be honest. But it's Nazis, Bill. We love so, killing Nazis. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's an unkillable former special forces operative with a haunted past. Your classic protagonist. God, I love so, that. So, but here's, the, here's what was the deciding factor when I was thinking about the yes or no. This movie combines Inglorious Bastards and John Wick, each of which I've watched a handful of times at least. I would not watch this again. Like, I have no reason to ever watch this again. And so that kind of made me lean towards, towards no. And the other thing that threw me off, I feel like the movie honestly would have worked better if it was in German with subtitles. Because instead, this entire movie is in English with just people with accents, German accents speaking English. And it just, it feels phony. Like it doesn't, like... Yeah, but we saw that in Glorious Bastards and we, we didn't, you didn't knock on it. But I think it goes probably back to the campy thing. Is like... Tarantino is a master in balancing campiness with such amazing dialogue that continually puts you in a reality. I'm in the room with these people in a scenario that like I can believe in and then can put you back into this world of this is so over the top and crazy and can balance them right. perfectly. Right. It seems like this can't do that. It didn't quite do well that. enough. And and then not only that, when you talk about Inglorious Bastards, Hans Landa speaking English is written into the script as part of his character. He's very cultured. He's very multilingual. Sure. He talks yeah. to the French farmer at the beginning of the movie and then asks him, "Do you know English? Can we switch to English?" Like it's all written into the script. Versus this is just every single character speaks English just with an accent, and it just feels it doesn't feel like the cool imported foreign movie about killing Nazis in whatever. Like, it just, it feels just, it feels like it's trying too hard. I don't know. It's not as cool as it thinks it is. It's basically what it boils down to. Ooh. Whoa. For me. I don't that's know. A, that's an aggressive. I've also seen line. a lot of movies and a lot of Tarantino ripoffs. So maybe for someone coming to it where this is their first movie like this, they were probably going to love it. But for me, it's just kind of been there, done that. I, I'm, I, I think... Whatever the last film we saw, we saw the trailer together, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to watch this. <laughs> I am excited. To, I'm probably not going to get it to catch it in theaters, but when it comes out on streaming service, I am 100% going to watch it, and I am excited to to share my take because it is something that I've had my eye on and that I'm excited to watch. Yeah, you. Yeah, I, I'm curious your take as well. All right, Bill, let's talk about what we've been watching and what we're going to be watching next in our Netflix and Bill segment. Yeah, so one thing quickly for since this is kind of our streaming section on Amazon Prime, I noticed the movie Coherence is available on Amazon Prime streaming. Anybody who has Prime, Coherence is a small movie from a few years ago. I think it was like maybe 2015. It was also the Should I Go See It film of the year that year. It's like a small puzzle box mind bender type of movie. I think it's like 90 minutes. One of my favorite one of my favorite movies. Like I just I absolutely love it, love it, adore it, tell everybody about it when I can. So Hidden Gem on Amazon Prime is called Coherence. It's like a must watch if you're a sci-fi or smart mind-bending type of 
movie fan. Love that. So PSA. Okay. What else you got? The only other thing is I started Love and Death. So this is a mini series on HBO or on Max, if you will, with Elizabeth Olsen and Jesse Plemons based on a true story, a true crime story. And it's a couple that have an affair and then it ends violently. Fucking Plemons, man. And that guy. <laughs> what did you call him? You called him like a poor man's Matt Damon or yeah, something that's, like yeah, that? Yeah, that's yeah, usually what like I call him. Mush face Matt yeah. Damon. He literally he looks like he's constantly just been stung by bees. Yeah, he does not look <laughs> good in this. He's got a bee I mean, face. Part of it's the character. Is that's like they're, <laughs> but he, he's got some city miles on him for sure. Elizabeth Olsen, stunning as always. She's fantastic. She, oh, God, she's a fucking national treasure. She is so good in this. Like, she is acting above and beyond everybody else around her. She's incredible in this. It's the first three episodes were dropped at once, and now they're new episodes every Thursday. I don't know how many are going to be total, but it is a miniseries based on a true story, and I will keep watching it. I think the first three were like a little slow. There were definitely times I was kind of checking my watch a little bit, but by the time they got to the end of three, the cliffhanger at end of three, which is probably why they did all three at once, they got me in. I'll, I'll, I'll watch to the end now for sure. So, And I've been trying to make sure I don't Google it or fact check it. Like I want to go in fresh. So good one, though. It's a good one so far. What about you? What are you watching? Yeah, it's on my it's it's on my queue. HBO is dominating my life. So Succession, we've all been watching. Yep, we text about it constantly every Sunday night. They've just released that the final episode will clock in at ninety minutes, and it's basically being packaged as a, the Succession, the movie that the, they the will final put. Yeah, the final episode is ninety minutes, and they're putting basically all the production, all of the things that you would ever want to wrap this up into that final episode. So I am torqued about that will that be episode 10 are they sticking with 10 i think it's either eight or ten eight it's either 10. eight or ten okay we'll get details around that and right after succession is barry which continue i'm so glad i got you both on barry and we're all watching barry it is one of the best shows that i think has ever been created top to bottom soup to nuts yeah it knows great. what it is it's pretty great this season is fucking wild every single scene and every single actor in that show acts their fucking balls off every time they're on screen. And it's just, it's fun to watch. It's just fun to watch. It's some of the best acting on TV. And it's some of the most interesting direction on TV. And it's all Bill Hader. Like, I've seen a bunch of people tweet, Bill Hader needs to start directing movies. Like, once the show's over, yes. he has got to go into filmmaking because the guy is incredible. It just it gets wilder and wilder, and last the episode from last week was fucking crazy. So yeah, watching Barry, and then we are on the final season of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Both of you don't watch that; it's a damn shame. But um, Rachel Brosnahan is just incredible as Midge Maisel, and I hope that one of you at some point, either of you, will watch from the beginning and see how absolutely fucking great this show is. I can't. I can't say it enough. Are those? I can't say it enough. What kind of commitment are we talking? Is, are these half hour episodes or hour? And no, they're they're fifty full, minute 50 full minutes. production. <laughs> just probably one of the smartest written shows you'll ever see in your in your entire life. And how many episodes I know per season? Ten, uh, eight, 10, eight, 10, 12? 10. Yeah. And then there's five seasons, right? Is this five or is this six? Yeah. This is five. Last one's five. Oh boy. Okay. Craig doesn't seem. Oh, I mean, you know. 
No, it's not going to happen. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm going to go fuck myself. All right, Bill, what do you got tickets for? As of this recording, tomorrow afternoon, I'm seeing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Heard it sucks. I've been able to go in fresh. I have not watched any trailers. It's, I have seen a couple of, like, headlines and, and a tweet here or there that seem generally positive. So I am excited for that. I'm hopeful that this will get me more interested in the MCU as my interest in the MCU has dwindled over the last year. So we'll see how this is. Even if it's just a nice closeout for these characters, fine. That's all. I, I need. just hope he doesn't phone it in, knowing that he's going to spend all of his time and make all of his money on the his, the direct competitor of the Marvel. Talking about James Gunn moving from this to this is his last Marvel movie before he took over DC. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. we'll see. So I'll see that tomorrow. So look for that review on Instagram on Thursday afternoon. Uh, well, by the time you're listening to this, it will have been posted. We'll say that. It's live, baby. And then in the next two weeks, so I think before our next episode, hopefully, I will have seen not only Guardians, but Fast 10, part one. And I got oh my, my ticket for The Little Mermaid. <laughs> Every Everybody, the, the Fast franchise needs to be put down like a, like a show horse that broke its leg. Well, this is it. Just fucking bring it out back with a tarp. Fucking... Put one in it and just bury it. Never talk about it. This ever is again. the start. This is the tagline for this movie is the end begins, which is great. No, uh, it's an oxymoron. I know, it makes no sense. So this is part one of the finale, and then Fast Ten Two, Fast Point Ten Point Five. I don't know what they're going to call it. Part Duh, which will presumably be next summer. That will be the end of the franchise, minus spinoffs. So it's not the end of the franchise. I mean, I got to assume they're going to keep doing spinoffs. They did Hobbs and Shaw. Who knows what else they do? But yeah, this is this is I'm seeing this out of Hollywood obligation and to get the review up because it's going to make a billion dollars. I have zero interest in these fast movies. Fast Five was the pinnacle. Everything else is trash. Do you think Fast Five is the pinnacle? Oh, yeah. The introduction of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, the chase where they are carrying the safe through the city. Like Fast Five is a fun ass movie. No. Everything else is trash. One was amazing. And that's it. That's it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, one's all right. It's dated as hell now, but yeah. So you're going to see The Little Mermaid. We've talked about it, how just really bad it looks. It's funny you bring that up and you're going to go see it. I saw an updated trailer played, I think, during the Celtics game the other night. I don't know if you've caught that. I think think, think old Disney and co. put a little extra cash and manpower behind the, the CGI. Are looking better? The trailer. Oh, it looked from what I saw, and I was like, kind of like doing Little Mermaid glow up. Yeah. Oh, glowed. We're glowed. I mean, baby. those trailers. I think we talked about this. I mean, they take certain shots and then rush the VFX to make that trailer. That's not an indication of the final product. So either that's the case, and it was always going to be better, or the reaction also caused them to throw some more money at it. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, but then I also looked up the character posters for the show, and I was like, that's not, Flounder looks stupid. That's a dumb-looking fish. Yeah, it's not It's not even close to an approximation of the Flounder that we it know and love. It looks nothing like, well, I mean, like, if we look at live action, like, Simba's a lion. Like, you can't really fuck up a lion, but, <laughs> like, how do you make a clownfish or, like, whatever fish that was look, or Flounder look like? you know, cute and cuddly when they're just ugly-ass fishes. I guess. It could have added some... But isn't Flounder have that blue shock of hair? Like, they could have done some blue in there. I don't know. It didn't look Like, give them a close. cool little rad mohawk. Like, kids wear, like, the helmets on the street, and they have, like, little mohawks. Anything. Yeah, they could have done that. Yeah. Uh, who knows, man? Who knows? Fish are gross. That's the problem. Inherently. Fundamentally, fish are gross. 
Fish are gross. Facts. This has been <laughs> Fish Talk. Talk. Bill, take us away. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this installment of the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to tell your friends to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It. And send us any movies that you would like to see remade from a different perspective. And if there's any interesting ones, we'll share them next week. Thanks. Thanks.